Hello listeners, uh, we're delighted to flag off our first episode of Professors on Air uh, with uh, Professor Sunil Chandran, who is in fact a visiting faculty at our college, I am Vishakhapatnam. Uh, he is the director of Trillion Consultancy, which guides medium to large businesses in sales and marketing strategies and assists in the development of di- digital initiatives to support uh, these efforts. Uh, he spent 25 years working with several national and uh, international giants such as Neralak Paints, Titan, Reliance Retail, Aditya, uh, Birla Retail, and many more companies. Uh, apart from this, he has some a uh, lot of uh, noteworthy achievements, some of which include uh, setting up Krispy Kreme donut chains across South and West India. He managed Gloria Jeans Coffee chain and uh, Fun City Entertainment centers across India. He set up the Timex National Sales Network across India. Uh, and he has so much more achievements that we actually don't have the time to cover uh, how much he's actually done throughout 25 years of his career. Uh, but once again, I would like to reiterate, we're incredibly excited to have you on board with us, sir. And we're really looking forward to this podcast. Thank you so much. So uh, whether by the time I would default, we wouldn't know what I've gone through, right? So life is a journey where you wouldn't know what takes you around the next corner. It's like driving down a highway itself. Yeah. So both good and bad. Yeah, thank you so much. Uh, welcome again, sir. Before we begin, we would like to introduce our listeners to ourselves. Uh, I'm Sadhanira. And I'm Rahul. Uh, now, continuing to the podcast. Uh, so, sir, you have completed your MBA in 1988 from XLRI. Uh, and you're also in touch with students now, so you are pretty much familiar with the MBA life now. Uh, we would like to know how these two compare. Difficult, I guess, because it's generations apart in that sense. Some of it remains the same, I guess, yeah. The, so I guess the reason why we come to an institute, the kind of activities we do tend to remain the same. But by by and far, some things are uh, not seen during our time. For example, case competitions is something that we never went through during our uh, academic life. Yeah, It's something a little more nascent in terms of an activity in a campus. But otherwise, campus life is fun because it needs to be a mix of academics, cultural, and of course, social activities that you would have in institutes. So not very different from my time. Uh, just that, I guess, competition uh, for admissions in institutes seems to have also gone up. So you actually sometimes tend to see maybe a better level of students in some of the institutes, yeah, uh, from what I have seen. Also, the fact that uh, Early days, uh, nobody knew what a management program was. Yeah, so people didn't know what a, a PGD DM was because most of us passed from institutes, which were not deemed universities, and therefore, we all never got an MBA degree like what students do get now. We were all uh, given a program which is called a PGD BM, and therefore, my uh, sense is uh, the mix of students, largely in many of the management schools those days, which is largely AC and Excel, which were the top three institutes those days was more urban in nature. Today, you see people from a, a good mix of urban, semi-urban kind of locations. Yeah. Uh, so, and that's a good thing. Yeah. Because you see, start seeing people coming from very small towns, which we didn't have much of an exposure to during our time. So it was a, a learning itself uh, happened to be or tended to be more a metro phenomena. So that other than that, I don't see there's anything different between what's happening then and now. Right. Thank you so much for sharing with that, sir. So I'd like to start off uh, first with, uh, I read your article uh, regarding service gaps in Nike, particularly when it was actually very interesting because one, it took me a little bit of time to understand uh, what was being conveyed with respect to, like you had three different clothings, each had three different discount rates and they had a problem with respect to accounting, right? How they wouldn't be able to uh, 
return that and i think you mentioned this point about how uh, the workers there themselves the people that are working in the retail stores don't actually know or rather cannot verify what they're conveying they say they're saying something that wasn't actually maybe part of the standard operating procedure and you call this phenomenon a service gap um and uh, you mentioned this this is something that does in fact affect a lot of retailers particularly in india so i just like you to elaborate a little bit more on what that is and how by bridging that particularly in the indian context we uh, a lot of retailers can sort of provide a much better customer experience in our country so that's a great question so let me start with the story i was once sitting across from the president of cafe coffee day and he was telling me the story of he had uh, cafe coffee day opened a outlet in uh, vienna and apparently it's at the center of the town itself he said that's the most central square that you have so he said he went in there in the evening and he was sitting there and apart from the barista who makes the coffee and uh, somebody else who was helping prep the food there were two staff who were serving the customers right and he said it was a fairly large uh, outlet with a lot of tables and chairs outside and he noticed that both of them were literally on their heels right through so he was there for about 2 hours and he waited till they closed the cafe saying that he would take the staff for a meal because that was his first visit to the outlet after the outlet was open and he offered to these women saying that outlet is doing extremely well we are making decent profits out of the outlet so would we could we consider adding one more staff to service itself because he kind of felt that possibly service could improve if you have more people yeah and uh, the first response from both of them were uh, they have families to run they are a lot dependent on the tips that the customers give them so they believe in giving good service with a smile very friendly quick service so their only request to him was even if a single customer complains on delay in service or quality of service should he consider increasing the number of people in a store and uh, you roll it back to a situation in india and if some of you get into retail or allied businesses you will see the first thing that a store manager would tell you is he needs more people uh he wouldn't be able to define and tell you why but he will say that you give me people and i can increase sales but but actually in india i find that there is sometimes a negative correlation between overbanning and underservice because we are busy talking to each other or uh, not getting involved in what's happening in the store that so in retail in india sometimes it's important to figure out the optimum manning and uh Uh, very rarely do you have to convince somebody to take in more people because um, a lot comes in from our thinking that you see yourself as being more important when you have more people reporting on to you possibly or the fact that uh, dependency sometimes on employees are a little less in india in the sense somebody calls himself off with very little notice yeah so if somebody tells you that hey i'm not feeling well today possibly i may not come in tomorrow at least it prepares you to figure out some way of managing your stores uh, because in some cases the number of employees in a store are less but we have a situation where many a time people don't call in and then the store manager is stuck with shortage of people and that's also a genuine concern so i think culturally uh, service orientation is something which uh, we may not be very good at uh and and india is one of those few countries where we are likely to get very good service from a single store owner or an entrepreneur than really from a so called organized retail organization because for an employee working there it's just another job 
and many of them may not be looking at growth within your organization. So you end up getting possibly a little suboptimal service. Whereas when an owner sits in a store, and I've seen that in many places, you get very high level of stores because he kind of figures out that you're a genuine customer. He himself will come and deal with you or he will ensure that the staff give you what you want. So service has many facets. Uh, but finally, we need to give in customers what they want Yeah, uh, in any country in the world. So India is slowly coming in where expectations of customers and some kind of outlets are going up. By the same token, if you travel around the world and stay in hotels, the kind of service that you get in a Taj or a Oberoi is unparalleled anywhere in the world. You're literally not even ever said no. You ask for anything and you get it. So. Uh, I go back to a story of mine where I took my family and we were staying in a property of Obrois in Udaipur and I wanted a booking in a restaurant which is inside Taj. Yeah? Uh, technically, uh, you are asking somebody to book a table for you in your competition uh, location, right? So when I tried calling, they said there are no tables free this evening and we were there only for that night and we were leaving the next day. But the duty manager managed to get a table for four of us. So that's other end of service. So we have a situation where in some situations, in some industries, I think in hospitality, clearly, I think service in India is 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 unparalleled. You may not see this in many countries in the world, be it Europe or the US. Yeah. Or even if you have to get that kind of a service, you have to pay a lot of money. Uh, whereas I think in many uh, retail, as in goods uh, retailing, we've still not uh, reached a level where many of us would feel comfortable. So. So there are, uh, uh, so service itself in my article, if you think about, there are multiple gaps, but the biggest gap that we see in India is actually what's called service delivery gap, uh, where uh, the organization knows service expectations, they have put in processes, they have trained people, but employees don't end up sticking to the uh, routine. Uh, you see it very differently in, say, Indigo Airlines, for example. Yeah, They follow the book. They are trained. And I'm actually told that um, many uh, staff go through close to three months of training uh, before they are actually allowed to enter the cabinet. So, so we're seeing it in different places, but still a long way to come in businesses where likely that attrition is high and therefore knowledge transfer doesn't happen very seamlessly. Also, the fact that I think uh, we are not very wired to uh, follow instructions many a time. And therefore, you see some slips itself. Yeah, so I can keep talking about it, but we'll go ahead. Yeah, thank you. Uh, so, just a follow-up question, sir. Apart Please. from training, uh, what do you think Indian retailers could do to change this cultural mindset on service? Okay. A very good question. Because retail is the only business in the world where somebody who unloads a truck went on to become the CEO, and that's Walmart. Yeah. So, if you read uh, what he was doing, he was just a unloading person in a truck. Retail is a business where you don't need a management school education, technically speaking. Yeah? So somebody who's a school pass or maybe who does his... I'm sure many of these people who grow do end up doing the graduation or post-graduation or an MBA maybe from an institute on a part-time basis, but many of them don't join after the MBA program. So I had a colleague of mine who, who came in from the US to work with me in Reliance Retail. He's an Indian and he wanted to work in India. So Babdi started working when he was in school in a store near his home, he used to go to college from morning to afternoon, do the second shift every day on weekdays and possibly two shifts on a weekend. He went out to become a director in that organization. Yeah? Uh, and then he came to India to work with us in Reliance Retail. So 
Retail is a business where uh, if we are able to provide the appropriate growth trajectory for anybody, then I think uh, we shall start seeing more involvement of people and possibly today what's happening is um, possibly it's the social evolution in our country also. Uh, so if somebody else offers uh, employee a thousand rupees or a thousand five hundred rupees more, they tend to move without looking at the fact that possibly this organization is growing fast and therefore I could actually become a manager in some three or four years time. Uh, and then his salary will then be a multiplier of some five or six times of what he's drawing today. Uh, so maybe somewhere I think that um, organizations are partially at fault and not being able to really engage with an employee, show him a path, identify the good employees. Uh, so like we say in retail, attrition is a given. But ensuring that attrition of your better performers should always be monitored and kept. So, so at least your good employee shouldn't leave and therefore try and give them growth sooner than they see uh, an increase in money, responsibilities and things like that. Yeah, possibly that would help us in the longer run itself. Right, sir. Uh, now talking about the entire industry. Uh, so the retail industry in India is extremely competitive and the industry attractiveness for foreign players is thus reduced. Also, uh, FDI has hurdles now. Uh, so how do you think, what are the biggest advantages and disadvantages of this scenario? Okay, so FDI theoretically was bought in sometime, I think in the uh, 90s, if I remember right. Okay, that's when government woke up to the fact that retail is going to become a big business. There'll be foreign players coming in. So I worked for a company which got FDI to set up retail in India, both in the supermarket and in the health and beauty space. This was called Food World and Health and Glow. Yeah? This was a joint venture with a Hong Kong-based international retailer in Asia called Dairy Farm International. Post that, the government said that FDI was only allowed in B2B businesses, which meant that uh, I could not sell to customers directly. Yeah? Uh, but of course, there were players who did find a backdoor entry because you can create multiple companies. For example, Walmart did uh, open up stores in parts of uh, Punjab, yeah, uh, but it was through a joint venture with somebody else and therefore they were handling only the back end and technically they were doing the sourcing and selling it to another entity, which is an Indian owned entity, which was running the stores itself. Yeah? Over time, the government in fact has uh, reduced the uh, uh, FDI hurdles. Amazon has now been given permission to be a a retailer in the uh, fresh food and category. So it's called Amazon Fresh. So where they buy directly from suppliers in India and sell because the idea is that they were wanting the farmers to be benefited from dealing with larger organizations directly. Uh, but irrespective of FDI, the thinking is you wanted to protect your small retailers uh, because there are markets in the US where there are no small retailers or what's called bomb and pop stores. Everything is chain retail. So, the, and India is a nation where we are a nation of shopkeepers. Yeah, number of outlets wise, if you see, we are the largest in the world in terms of square footage per capita population. We are one of the lowest in the world. So, I think the thinking of the government is to encourage uh, a small entrepreneurship, small businesses to continue to be in retail because that provides a lot of employment opportunities and also. Uh, is an outlet for somebody, uh, is an industry where even if you're not very well educated, it's not very difficult to be able to run a retail business because uh, it's just the simple innate trading quality that is required in any person to set up a store. Uh, FDI will keep going down, but I don't see 
very many international brands queuing up to come into India if FTI were to be loose or not. Because I think whoever had to come and dip their waters already there into India, Walmart through Flipkart, yeah, Amazon already present. Amazon is a stakeholder. Partially, I think in Shopperstock, uh, they are also involved in my earlier business, which is more. So you see that many brands are already present either directly or indirectly because of the FDI regulations. But but today, so personally, uh, there is two segments of retail. One is what is called uh, single unit, two, three unit kind of retailers, which is your uh, so-called Kiranas or single store which sell fashion electronics. And then you've got organized retail. Uh, but the fact that very few players in organized retail have consistently uh, learned to make money uh, that the industry is seeing uh, spurts and pullbacks. So you see somebody coming in, opening a lot of stores and they're actually pulling back stores, shutting them down. Uh, so the also to add compound to the problem is the fact that world over retail tends to be an organic business in the sense somebody starts one store like Sam Walton did in the US he does well. Uh, so his idea is to open a, a big store in a small town, as he calls it the one horse town, right? So Bentonville was a one horse town where he opened a store and then it did well. So uh, he creates these stores in small towns where everybody comes to you because you're the largest store and therefore he does well. So over 30, 40 years becomes the largest retailer in the US. In India, we have the bigger industrial houses investing into retail. So you've got uh, the Reliance, Mr. Ambani, Mukesh Ambani, you've got Tata's, you've got the Birla's, all of them investing money into the business. And therefore, I somewhere think that uh, possibly if India had more homegrown retail, like so many other retailers all over the world, possibly our retail could have been a little more stable in our country. Possibly, that's just a thought. Yeah. Uh, so today, one of the most successful so-called retail play is DMART. Uh, but that's more a real estate play than really a retail play. Yeah? Uh, so I'm not sure even if FDI were to get completely eased up, there are going to be 10 or 20 retailers in the world who are waiting to get into I don't think so. Having said that, I also believe that nature of employment in India and opportunity for people to uh, set up businesses and run, small retail is always good. And, and like we started with by saying, possibly service in smaller retail could actually be better than an organized retail because the owner or his family or somebody is sitting there to give the service itself. Yeah. So I would say that in a country like us, it should be a healthy balance of both. Uh, so organized retail should bring in supply chain efficiencies, sourcing efficiencies. Yeah. So possibly uh, Walmart and Amazon being present in India should help a lot of exports also of goods from India itself. Yeah. So what they find as lower price points to be sourced from India, uh, could could help us also start exporting a whole lot of merchandise out of India. Well, traditionally, there are many, many categories that Walmart buys from India. Today, they are looking at broad basing that more because of their presence in India. And the fact that internationally also, then there is a de-risking of supply chain that should help India to some extent. So retail is not only about our customers, but also export opportunities when you have got international players coming. Yeah, But the ideal balance would be to allow local homegrown retail and we're seeing this in many markets in India. Hyderabad, for example, yeah, uh, in Telangana has a lot of these smaller food and grocery retailers who have actually become very big. Ratnadeep, Vijayata, many of you, some of you may know about them. Yeah, they were all single store outlets when I was setting up retail in Hyderabad uh, 
uh, when was this early 2000 and things like that they are all now fairly large chains so that's a good thing so in a way when somebody comes and sets standards when others in the industry starts improving the standard that's then good for everybody uh, standards help the larger retailers source better it helps customers get lower prices better service and and therefore it's a win win for everybody god so thank you um so we have another question uh you've been involved uh, based on of course your consulting uh, profession as well and your company you've been involved in sort of scaling up businesses from the ground and this is something that you have done quite a lot and uh, in fact uh, i believe you were the you were involved in setting up the first organized uh, player in india's retail industry so i i just considering of course because uh, you've been basically working for 25 plus years i just want want you to give us the uh, give the audience a bit of a story about how this happened and something super interesting that you saw uh, that you might have observed during this process because this is something that uh, considering this uh, the sheer timeline that you have been working with you must have been able to see so many changes uh, across this time sure thank you uh, there are some uniqueness in retail which is a learning for very many businesses first of all retail is one of those few businesses where working capital tend to be negative yeah so if you are smart you will only carry as much of inventory as the credit given to you by your supplier so if your supplier gives you two weeks of credit you keep 12 days of inventory negative working capital is at the heart of retail business and clearly retail is the only business where every single unit of yours is the profit center very different from a lot of other businesses yeah so when i used to work in titan uh, many a time even if you were to be heading sales for example you still don't have complete view on profitability of the business because you operate at a certain transfer pricing you operate at a certain margin band that you want to give to your market and to your channels uh, you have no idea about what the uh, manufacturing cost is or what's the cost of uh, r&d or what would be the uh, amount of money that you would put into uh, possibly building a grand as a sales head and so on and so forth retail is a business which teaches you fundamentals of how to run a good business so even a store manager quickly learns what pnl statement means what does ebita mean and things like that because he is measured against that so we aggregate the units and when you talk about scale the first thing you do in retail business is your unit level has to be profitable which means at the store level if you're not making money then don't scale don't open more stores so some of the challenges india has faced with large businesses coming in is they think that few stores don't make money more stores will make money they don't because if a store doesn't make money at the unit level scale only gives you more losses like what we today see in many online businesses right so the key thing in retail is to be able to understand uh two things one you understand marketing at its best because you're looking at a customer in the eye right so you know so like you keep saying uh for a brand manager uh the store shelf is the moment of truth when a customer's customer looks at a product the product says pick me up that's the final moment of truth that you've been waiting for right so retail understanding customers is at its best in retail understanding financial matrices at its best is a good way to run a business but my key takeaway of after managing a lot of retail businesses is the fact that in most businesses we measure output matrices right we will say sales we will look at uh, margin and things like that uh, retail is one business which is taught me saying possibly input matrices are more important than output matrices yeah uh, so for example you have a product like this pen 
the first thing you keep asking is that what is your volume how big are you in a city or in the country where is this manufactured what are the channels it goes through can i break some of these channels and go on by directly yeah uh, one of the reasons for walmart success in the us is an fmcg product category in us distributor margins are high because cost of operations in us is very different uh, we learned this the hard way in titan when we were trying to set up distribution in europe right a distributor will ask you for a minimum guarantee on the profitability you commit to them so not only will you have to give them an estimated pnl but if you don't meet those bottom line you may have to write a check and give it to him because he says i am investing what you are asking me to invest in india because of want of a lot of opportunities distributors line up outside their office to take any product or category even if it's not a easy category to manage so the distributor margin is low uh so for example in food world the first retail chain we set up uh, the board wanted us to deal directly with most of the fmcg brands so we were working with levers yeah uh so levers said yeah we will pass on the distributor margin on to you we'll treat you like a distributor yeah but you don't realize that for a distributor from whom you are buying in chennai bangalore hyderabad pune uh, the three places where we were working in you are the biggest customer to a distributor you are most probably the 100% of sales of that distributor so he is able to bend himself backward to give you service for example if you tell him that i want you to come twice a day and supply is willing to do that yeah uh, if i tell him that i don't want any case slots i want moqs to be one he is willing to do that uh, if i am stuck with some inventory which i can't sell i'll tell him listen please help me out and take it back because he would then request the company to take it back now when you get into direct agreement with the company the first thing they tell you is that sorry you have to pay us in advance yeah and in fact levers won't even uh, uh, deliver out of the they won't even dispatch out of the warehouse till your payment is cleared yeah and then we had this huge thing of trying to do a kind of a bill discounting facility between our bank and his bank yeah so they present the invoices to the banker who discounts it and gives them the money and then they dispatch to us and i have to pay back my bank in 14 days time and there is obviously a certain charge the bank would levy so so we had to negotiate commercial terms in terms of where does the margin go who does it cost but to cut a long story short we realize at least in the short run possibly we are losing more by buying from levers directly whereas in the case of many markets like us the moment you cut one channel there is so much of margin that comes to you directly whereas we struggle in india to actually figure out uh, you get distributor margins anywhere varying from possibly 4% or 8% in many fmcg categories yeah and sometimes service inventory credit damages expiry returns all those could possibly have been better through your distributor so dmart for very many companies the distributors deal with dmart not the company directly yeah so end of it what we have to understand is that even when you go up the channel in india opportunity for additional margins is relatively less it's not that it's not there it's relatively less so you have to really be sure that uh, a small kirana who enjoys credit returns damages uh, offers and discounts may not be very different from a large organized player like possibly reliance or more yeah uh, the differential in margin is low but the differential in cost of operations is very very high and therefore it's not always very very easy to be competing with even a smaller market itself or a smaller retailer as a competition right so we were initially talking about finance at its at its best and marketing at its best uh, so uh, 
would you tell me uh, how financial considerations and marketing strategies intersect in the retail industry particularly uh, when making decisions about expansion or opening a new store yeah uh, first i'll tell you about operating stores and then we'll talk about new stores yeah uh, right. simple things like for example uh, my marketing head's budget will be the revenue that he can generate from selling space in a store yeah uh so the store itself is a, a estate real estate that you have so the space outside the store within the store for signages behind the uh cash bills or post bills for uh, branding so much so that we never kept a budget for marketing but we said whatever you earn you can spend so that's marketing at its best so you had a marketing team who were really trying to ensure that we generate what is called other income which is called non trading and promotional income yeah uh, so the merchandising team or the buying and merchandising team gives you the margins trading margins and your marketing team gives you what's called the other income some of both is basically your total gross income itself so that's one way of looking at a business which is very different from being in a sales and marketing organization the fact that retail is all about running small experiments makes it the best place to do uh, all kinds of uh you take the four p's right product pricing promotions communication placement of products in a shelf yeah all of this you can keep experimenting in you do in one store you see something works do it in a second store you know it works do it in a third store it works now you run it across all your chain of 500 stores so in a way our ability to be able to turn around what is called multiple mvps every day so if you are a smart retailer there are some hundreds of mvps happening across your chain and maybe 20 30 of those 500 in a month will be successful and you will replicate it everywhere else yeah so it's a business where we keep creating the or playing around with all the levers of a marketing mix on a constant basis and you are able to see it because customer is transacting every day yesterday this pen was kept in this shelf i sold 10 units today i kept it in a better location i sold 25 units so it's a no brainer that is this giving me better margin than the earlier product which was kept at a premium shelf and if that is so put the pen there for some time and see if it can help you get more margin itself from a finance perspective i told you about working capital secondly i understood that retail is one business where most of us need to know how to convert your as far as possible costs that are fixed and controllable to what i call non controllable and variable yeah and what do i mean by that uh and i link it back to store openings yeah uh the best way to run a profitable store expansion is when you don't have a target for new store opening you only open if you get them at the terms that is sensible for you yeah and extending that for example you take a market like palasa near vizag i remember that some landlord wanted to start a supermarket business yeah he put the rackings in he created the store he has done everything but then chicken out and wanted to run a store so he came to meet me in bangalore and he said that he showed me pictures and he want me to come to palasa to see the store office yeah uh, palasa is not far from vizag you stand in the highway you see a board which says palasa so many kilometers from your institute yeah uh, so i went there and i kind of thought that it's a very small town a uh, lot of cashew industry there a lot of money there but no organized retail there uh, so i asked him uh, and he said Uh, I'll give you whatever rental expectation that you have, but I told him it's not so much the rental. Uh, it's a market where I would not have gotten if I had not uh, listened to what you had to say or what you you were willing to offer us. So I told him, I will give you a rental. I will give you a variable reimbursement on his assets. Yeah, 
so i said uh, what is your expectation in terms of if and i can actually now tell you that i don't want any of your assets you throw down and bring my own assets right so it's a waste of money for you we were able to manage a commercial deal where my fixed asset investment in that store was very minimal and working capital as i keep telling you all is anyway negative yeah so my payback or ability to be able to achieve a payback was so easy at even a very small uh, rate of sale per month yeah and over time it was one of the most profitable stores that we had in avizag dc itself yeah so looking for opportunities where you think you can leverage your power as a chain of course this is a very one off exception you're not going to get this all the time right but only but the only thing you can think of doing is uh over time when i used to open stores we make mistakes especially when you open stores at rapid pace like what you saw in more and interlands yeah uh, i learned that we have to start uh, making as much of our assets as possible as flexible as you can which means that we never took a property where we have to invest in any civil work early days we used to have a standard tiling we used to have the tile we used to put ourselves yeah we used to build the civil work in terms of a back room and washrooms changing rooms staff room and things like that we insisted that if any landlord has to give us a property we would rather pay him 1 rupee more on rental but he does everything and gives it to us including the fact that the signage that we had in a store was standardized so even if one store did not do well my exit cost in that mistake was as low as possible and i would factor that into my budget saying that 1 in 20 stores would be a a uh, 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 a place where i may have to shut down but then the write off was so small that it didn't impact us and once we did this then we could scale rapidly that's one we are looking at scaling and store opening like you said second thing is technology today india has a lot of data and uh, there are a lot of players who are able to give you a lot of detailed information about the catchments around a location yeah so much so that i was working with a company in uh, aditya billa retail limited where we shared a lot of our past uh, gps location with him got him to estimate sales and we started giving him the actual sales data his algorithm over time would be able to predict a 90% accuracy so he will say 100 plus or minus 10% will be the sales in this location so what that did to be was when i get a location and i pass it on to him and his estimate says 30 lakhs i would assume it is 27 lakhs of revenue and then work on a payback which if it meets within your budgeted requirements you go and open a store so the ability to be able to spot the location right improves a lot with technology don't ask me how they get their information uh, i wouldn't know for sure but a lot of it i'm sure is from the handphone data itself yeah uh, a surrogate for a good catchment is the credit card bills in the uh, of the customers there a good surrogate is the power units that is being consumed per household yeah uh, a good surrogate could also be property taxes that are collected by the government so there are multiple data points one could tap to be able to understand how many uh, socio economic segment classification wise say b and above live in a particular catchment or not so technology a lot of role to play in how retail is evolving in india uh and the fact that technology also helps you be able to predict a lot of things right you can even apply this to marketing crm all of that is being completely data driven now yeah predictive analysis can actually tell you uh, i was reading last week i was sitting through a workshop where i was told that uber is able to predict their churn rate of drivers and who are the 
top drivers who are likely to have a churn so they get into an engagement program with these drivers to see how they could retain them because they are their best drivers they have in their pool itself so predictive analytics clearly will help us a lot in looking at consumer behavior supplier behavior and all of those before i move on to the next question because some of our listeners we're still first year mba students so when you talk about negative uh, networking capital we have a very formulaic understanding of the current assets minus current liabilities so um like can you can you maybe explain to us briefly why the retail industry is able to have a networking capital because like you said every industry would likely would love to have as little retail of uh, inventory as possible right because that's just cash that's just sitting there there is not being able to, something about the retail industry is allowing it to be this way as opposed to maybe some other industry could you give us a glimpse on what yeah. why that is it's not so much of how much of credit suppose you have the supplier of this water bottle and he says the standard terms to you is 2 weeks of credit yeah uh, so now i before i start so first of all in most businesses you will say i don't want to keep this product if it's a new product right because i i don't have any past track record of performance yeah so the first thing i would tell a supplier would be i already have multiple players if you insist there are two conditions under which i will keep your product one is you have to give me better margin than what others are giving in the category secondly i will try you out for 3 months yeah so i will put your product for 3 months i will only pay you what i sell so every week or every two weeks i will check what is my sale and i'll pay you the money yeah after 3 months we will sit and negotiate so now we will sit the situation and say what a margin surprisingly water which is a basic need in our country has one of the highest margins in the food and grocery space yeah uh, so i think you get more uh, more margin than possibly even a a sinful carbonated beverage or a tea or a coffee category itself yeah so water margins are very high so assuming that this does well and he says yeah what i can offer you is possibly 2 weeks of credit i give my distributors 2 weeks of credit so i'll pass the same on to you now i know that my rate of sale of this item by store i have information for the last 3 months assuming for store a uh, i sell say 20 packs a day and and therefore 2 weeks would actually mean into 14 yeah so what what is that about 280 uh, pieces or so i would keep in inventory at any point of time say 200 220 pieces but i will go back to the supplier and say you will replenish this every day you will uh, uh, ensure that your fill rates are 100% so that my buffer in inventory is low so i carry possibly 10 11 days of inventory but i pay him after 14 days yeah uh, so if you all read the first book that uh, jeff bezos wrote in 1999 possibly yeah uh, or possibly closer to 2002 2003 yeah uh, he says that he was losing money in transactions and selling books but he had so much of money that he was buying a lot of small businesses with that money why because he was getting books at 120 days credit and he was selling them on cash yeah so that's the uh, logic of a negative working capital yeah so you will not invest money in stocks as much as possible of course there may still be some brands where you may have to invest because that's a very strong brand but you'll offset that with some other brand which is a little weaker brand but logically everybody so most businesses i have run with possibly negative working capital would be about at least anywhere between minus 1 to about minus 6 days minus 7 days or so right. thank you for clarifying that you know it's pretty fascinating it's not something that we've come across because our curriculum is very constrained to getting these 
formulas done before we can actually move on to the implications. So moving on, um, you were also responsible for setting up Krispy Kreme uh, outlets in India. And it is uh, a chain from the US. It's a pretty pr- prominent chain there. But, uh, it, you know, the items are pretty, when it comes to our, the prices we get here, it is a very premium price. You know, we're talking about uh, packet, two donuts might be around 120 bucks or something around the, those lines. You can get those type of donuts uh, in small bakeries as well. Uh, but it is a, it is an outlet that, that is doing really well. And uh, from our perspective, we see it as a change in the Indian consumer behavior that is allowing it to do well. Uh, my assumption would be that this wouldn't work five, six years back, uh, but now it is possible. I just wanted to uh, have your take on it. Maybe you could give us a little clarification on why Krispy Kreme is successful, why the current nature of India is allowing it to do so, and how maybe the Indian consumer's uh, behavior uh, the rising middle class, a more aspirational, more consumerist mindset, how retailers are taking advantage of this shift. Sure. So uh, you're right about the price point. For example, when we launched Krispy Kreme in India, original glaze, which is a signature product of Krispy Kreme, uh, we used to sell singles at 46 rupees. Yeah. So when I got the president of Krispy Kreme International to come to India, and I took him to a McDonald's outlet in a mall, and I bought him what is a makalu tiki, which those days was 25 rupees. And then I took him to our store and I told him to bill for an OG. And then I told him that you can actually buy two burgers for the price of an OG. Yeah. Uh, so that was the first time that they stood up to understand that um, it's uh, it's not obviously easy to sell at these kind of price points. Uh, so then we were able to push them into uh, localizing the uh, supply chain itself because till then um, for the first six months after we launched in India we were getting the wheat from Australia we were getting the palm oil from Malaysia we were getting the sugar from I think Australia and stuff like that yeah very very expensive because of the freight and the cost of the goods itself so one thing was to make them understand the price point but despite that even today Krispy Kreme is expensive yeah Uh, so so we realized that uh, when we signed up, I remember vaguely saying it is some 100 outlets for five years is what we signed up. But I think we should have opened 100 stores by 2017. I don't think we are anywhere close to that number even now. So obviously what it does is you recalibre your network plan. So which means if you earlier thought that Bangalore could have said 30 or 40 outlets, you now say that you can only open 15 possibly or 20. Yeah, Because purely on affordability. Uh, so beyond whatever we could do to bring the cogs down and set the operations right, even work with lower cost in terms of rentals, it was not possible to reduce the prices because cogs still was fairly high. And unfortunately, uh, you also have a lot of expiry yeah? in the sense that we don't keep a product of Krispy Kreme beyond about eight or nine hours. So what is produced by the morning two or three in the uh, three a.m is shipped and sold before 3 p.m. or so. So it's a 12-hour window. And then what is made in the morning by about 10 or 11 is what is supplied to the stores to be sold in the evening. But there are a couple of things as to what makes it unique. Uh, You take a bite of a crispy creme original glazed when it's freshly prepared of what we call the machine, it melts in your mouth. Yeah. So anybody who eats a crispy creme donut, uh, in fact, crispy creme is the only... Krispy Kreme holds the copyrights for the word called donut, D-O-U-G-H-N-U-T, 
world over nobody can use this word because that's the ip uh, logo name brand everything of crispy uh, cream international so even that word uh, donut can't be used by anybody else so it's donut in its truest form any food products in india uh, india in one of the few industries in india where i think quality trumps price which means we are willing to pay more for that particular biryani in hyderabad or that particular dish in some particular place provided the quality is consistently maintained but but what it does is of course it keeps aside a lot of people from consuming it very regularly so fairly early on we realized that we had to be involved in emotional movements in a customer's life yeah so two three things our entire marketing budget was spent on sampling so even before we launched in any market for example mumbai bangalore chennai we would sample a lot of the donuts and especially og so anybody who ate that og can be sure will come and stand in a queue so even when we were opening a store in any city we had huge queues outside our store and not necessarily young people you know like what you see in your institute uh, in fact uh, the first person in the queue in bangalore was a lawyer practicing criminal lawyer so i was so impressed with him that we got him to cut the ribbon for my second store in a uh, mall in whitefield in bangalore yeah so it was not only the younger people but we actually saw that there are many people who like that taste so what we did was we started engaging with people on uh, memorable days in their lives yeah birthdays wedding anniversary graduation days we started collecting a lot of data about our customers and we would sell them free samples on these days so much so over time it becomes a habit in your minds that when is a wedding anniversary the meal is not complete without a box of original uh, glaze yeah secondly we didn't discount the singles and twos but we discounted the dozen boxes so our idea was uh, and we saw this from what we see in the us yeah so when we were standing in the outlet in the us people come buy a dozen and go home because uh, this brand is part of sharing nobody comes and buys one and have coffee and sit there and eat they just buy a dozen and take it home so everybody at home has it over two days after a meal right so we started uh, pricing attractively on the dozen boxes promoting that quite heavily in stores uh, associating with people on memorable dates doing sampling as a big driver and 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 we do accept the fact that i think even today uh, it's not easy to uh, afford to buy a crispy cream donut yeah but but it's a question of we call it actually indulgence so you feel like indulging yourself possibly once a week once in two weeks so you'll go pick up a, a few or you'll buy one or two and and i've seen kids who come in sit with half a dozen and finish it off and i used to be shocked yeah uh, because it's still very sinful from a health perspective it's fried it's like a vada mm-hmm. many people think donuts are baked they're not they're fried they're fried in palm oil yeah it's sinful with so much of sugar but of course it's delicious in the mouth yeah and uh, when it's very tasty people will stick so i think uh, uh, we made some mistakes in in markets like mumbai where we went to premium real estate places and things like that Uh, and therefore they had to shut down mumbai and i think they moved most of those assets into hyderabad so currently i think it's it's present in bangalore chennai hyderabad all right sir that was beautifully explained uh, you have extensive experience in diverse industries so uh, how has your multifaceted background influenced your approach in managing the portfolio uh, and retails brand in retail brands like gloria jeans coffee crispy cream donuts and fun city also uh, what were the some key challenges that you faced sure uh, so very very different kinds of that was my last assignment yeah mm-hmm. so i was uh, managing 
four brands at that point of time uh, fun city is a entertainment center for children which is mostly a indoor entertainment center yeah semi indoor uh, some cases it can be outdoor too yeah but most of the outlets we have in india is indoor this is a business which is highly capital intensive very high ebitas but payback will take a long time retail lower which is okay crispy cream the hub store is capital intensive but every spoke store is low on capex and therefore paybacks are much much faster so you have very two different kinds of business but what is most important and i keep saying this all the time is for any consumer facing business you have to get your format right what is format format means what is the size what kind of assortment what kind of technology you have to adopt what kind of pricing do you do and therefore what is it that you stand for as far well as a customer is concerned so if you get your format right be it a fun city or a crispy cream then you can scale so my learning and with all the experience i've had till then was only to figure out so it took us in the case of crispy cream about four five outlets and about a year to understand what is the right format for us to expand once we get that that is only a cookie cutter in terms of saying that i won't go to a place more than this kind of rental uh, so i would want this size subject to a rental cap of so much so so if i get a little bigger space with the same rental i'm still okay but my either my rental or my size is the cut off as far as format is concerned and therefore then you look at what should be your capex and how do you kind of see how can you get malls to uh, uh be a part of their investment or try and uh, negotiate around uh, for example in the retail business and rentals in india the biggest headache is rental deposits mm. yeah so very many locations when crispy cream was doing well and people wanted us to open i said only two months of rental deposit i can't afford to pay more yeah so you can do that if you're a little bit successful under uh, the mall operator wants you there kind of a thing yeah not easy in all cases so if you think you're doing well and people want you in terms of retail locations then you can become a little more sticky and therefore bring your total investment down uh, because real estate in india once you give a landlord a rental advance very unlikely you will get the money back even when you exit and i learned this the hard way yeah and and therefore it's good to keep your exposure limited so that if you decide to vacate a place you just stop paying rental for two months three months and then come out of the property itself but it's not easy but the basic principles remain the same so like you keep saying that any business has a if it's a well run business needs to give you a certain return on your invested capital so be it a retail or be it a manufacturing so if you run it well you need a certain roic so you keep your eye on the roic and understand like you said don't look at it as an output measure but look at everything that goes into creating a certain input measures to help you uh, get that right yeah uh, for example how do you do pricing in a fun city uh, you don't do uh, uh ride by ride pricing or unit by unit pricing yeah you you give a prepaid card for a certain amount and you give an unlimited usage yeah uh, typically a lot like what uh, wonderla does yeah so you have entry charge and you pay so we didn't do it that way but we kind of tried a mix of multiple things so that any walk in we wouldn't want to just come in and play only one game and pay some 50 rupees yeah we would ensure that you are given cards where you load it up to 500 rupees and things like that so i am at least sure of that particular revenue you don't do that in retail when you are selling products because you can't insist on that so it's like a subscription model or a upfront kind of a model where allows you to spend a certain time and use it so you apply all your learnings as a student of uh, management but you keep your eye on what are the matrices that can finally influence what is your roic 
and by the way gloria jeans coffee was a chain that i closed down because we can never get a uh, never get a format right so when you believe you can't get a format right you shouldn't waste your time so i convinced the board into saying that it's better we wind it down uh, and that's the mistake we made in the sense that we wound it down in mumbai and mumbai had a large number of stores and we converted all those stores into crispy creme but they were constantly at a much higher rental itself and so crispy also had to exit mumbai much later um so um sir while we were preparing uh, for this podcast uh, one of the things that we uh, learned was omni channel and particularly yeah. uh post covid uh, it's it's it seems to me like omni channel has almost become you know you need to have it if you want to compete or uh, particularly you know when we had our social distancing the ability to order something online and come and pick it up Uh, having said that, I I think it seems to be a significant challenge for organizations to do this because if it wasn't, then it wouldn't be uh, it would be widely adopted by now. So I just want to uh, for you to give us a glimpse on why uh, one why this is so important and two like why it's so difficult to do um, this particular. Okay, so the word omni-channel itself is often misused. Uh, people assume that a multi-channel is an omni-channel strategy. Yeah. but omni channel in the truest sense actually says that the experience that i get in online or offline should be the same and that is actually not feasible uh, because uh, if you look at the value come and look at attributes around online versus offline um, in online there is something called a delayed gratification which means i pay for a product yeah uh, i go to amazon i order this phone i pay for it i'm waiting for the phone to come to me after 3 or 4 days So world over research shows that delayed gratification is the reason why people don't always buy online yeah so they buy it for as i call it customers are there both in online and offline it's a need state yeah uh, i i have fruits and oats for breakfast i go to a physical store close by here and buy them but if i'm traveling to wisag i've got classes there but i need fruits the next day morning i can sit in wisag and order for the fruits it will get delivered home in the morning yeah so it becomes a convenience factor yeah uh, but for any retailer they should realize that their customers will buy either online or offline depending on the need that they have at that point of time for that specific shopping itself uh, why do online retailers want to go offline because offline market is bigger Why do often uh, retailers want to go online? Because many of their customers want the convenience of online. Yeah. So in a market like India, possibly we will start seeing online adoption more and settling down when people realize that you have to pay more for the convenience of sitting at home and ordering. Because somebody is obviously picking it up, packing it, bringing it, and delivering it to you. There is a price to it. Yeah. So we are all used to online being cheaper. we have to start getting used to the fact that online possibly will become more expensive than offline so if you look at data even today between amazon and walmart walmart is much cheaper than amazon because the latest amazon um, financials if you pull out and see their fulfillment cost and delivery cost is only 28% and that's possibly higher than the gross margin you'll get in india in many categories itself yeah so that's one part of it so omni channel or a multi channel let me stay with multi channel first has to exist you have to give your customers a choice saying that uh, it's raining today i don't feel like walking and going or driving to a shop in a two wheeler so i would want an online delivery possibly yeah but india on the corollary is also seen in many markets extremely high levels of service yeah 
Uh, I used to live in uh, a place called GK in Delhi, and for some of you are familiar with uh, uh, Delhi Market, I had a Gupta ji uh, who was kind of part of the colony itself. I call him, I get material within about ten minutes or so, faster than uh, Swiggy Insta Mart, and he knows exactly what I buy, what I don't buy. When he suddenly realizes that I don't grow a beard, but I don't buy shaving needs from him, he'll come home and ask me, you know. सर कौन सा ब्रांड है जो आप मुझे जा दिखाइए मैं खरीद देता हूँ यू नो सो ही एनश्योर्स दैट यू बाय एवरीथिंग फ्रॉम हिम वी वेरी स्मार्ट दैट वे एंड ही इज गॉट दिस आर्मी ऑफ किड्स आई नो वेयर ही गेट्स दिस किड्स फ्रॉम मोमेंट यू कॉल हिम दैट न्यू फेलो एवरी टाइम आई सी आउटसाइड मेडो बट ही इज देयर आउटसाइड मेडो इन 10 मिनट्स टाइम सो द लेवल्स ऑफ सर्विस वी सॉ इन मार्केट्स लाइक दिल्ली पॉसिबली ब्रिलियंट या सो व्हाई वुड यू वांट टू ऑर्डर ऑनलाइन व्हेन द नेबरहुड गाय इज गिविंग इट टू यू एट अ शॉर्ट नोटिस या सो ऑफ कोर्स वी कैन ऑलवेज से ऑनलाइन इज ऑल अबाउट द लॉन्ग टेल but is it actually about the on tail because when you're ordering through your mobile phone how much can you see in a screen itself yeah so there are things like discoverability in online and things like that uh my belief is everybody who's online will go offline everybody who's offline will go online they will treat it as a multi channel but will it be truly omni channel difficult to say so what do i mean by that uh there are product categories which are fluid in nature for example the shirt that you're wearing possibly both of us wear a 40 size shirt uh but when you wear that shirt you look very different from me because my body shape is different yeah so how does a online retailer give the same experience as a physical store only by sending me 10 shirts and saying sunil pick up two from this that's what amazon does in the us it's called amazon wardrobe it's not that i'm saying anything new this is what i see in the world yeah so in a way any retailer who understands how he can recreate a physical experience through online and where the incremental penalty for the convenience is not very high today i believe that swiggy is overcharging so i'm just hoping ondc will break that monopoly yeah swiggy charges you all the restaurants listed in swiggy some 30% higher in prices because restaurants charge swiggy more because swiggy charges them a margin then swiggy charges a, a delivery charge then swiggy many a time in many markets in india i have seen also charges you what is called a platform handling charge or something like some name comes up and you pay some little bit of money yeah so you actually find that they are doing all this possibly because they are losing money i wouldn't know but i think they are going about it the wrong way yeah uh, we need to kind of ensure that a customer needs it but you can't charge him overcharge him for it uh, so ideally we are able to create a situation where uh, a brand or, or let's take a retailer for example like shopper stop whether i go physically and buy it or whether i go to shopper stop online if i am able to create a similar experience and not charge me a very high penalty for the delivery or convenience then i think that's a sweet spot where all of us wouldn't mind we will be like i keep saying uh, retail is a business where many of us forget that we are not loyal to the retailer we are loyal to the brand yeah so uh, a retailer is finally somebody who's giving you a bundle of services he's giving you assortment he's giving you prices he's giving you delivery he's he's conveniently located to you and things like that so when retailer starts understanding that their customers will buy both online and offline and they as much as possible integrate the shopping journey experience with an incremental penalty which is minimum in terms of online that's when we'll actually start seeing more and more people uh, doing both customers consume information both online and offline so they will consume products also both in online and offline 
right sir uh, we see that in western countries uh, brands like sephora and starbucks are appreciated for their omnipresent uh, omnichannel presence and experience uh, can we say that uh, the importance of omnichannel experience also differs because of the cultural differences between the west and east one is cultural uh, difference second could also be technological adoption also so sephora app uh, the virtual makeup in that app is good but after having said that uh, tests do show that there is a marginal difference between uh, you applying a lip color virtually versus going to a sephora store and applying the color there is a little difference in how you see it in a screen versus actually you see yourself in a mirror uh, when you actually go to a store so virtual mirror versus a, a real mirror there is still some small differences so technology will help sephora but having said that this app of sephora's helped them tide over their covid uh, times yeah mm-hmm. it was uh, it's a great case study on that in india a very not so common b2c category but asian paints app is also brilliant so i think technology will help retailers improve the uh, look and feel uh, but of course uh, it helps when it is a rigid product yeah so paint is a rigid product possibly on your wall yeah uh, a lip uh, color application on a physical picture of yours is okay but a shirt and a body could be different because it's fluid yeah or a, a spectacle is fine because it is a rigid product because it doesn't change shape so somewhere the product category uh, but of course it is a cultural issue uh, no doubt about it saying that uh, in uh, let's take beauty category us beauty is not gone very much online despite sephora it's still very small why because organized retail is big right. china organized retail better than india but nowhere close to us beauty is gone completely online most beauty taste makers in instagram in china are from the beauty category so maximum influencers in insta or tiktok are all around uh, beauty categories so in india will it go the online way offline way because offline is also not very evolved mm-hmm. neither are customers likely likely to buy too much online because online comes with its own uh, fear in customers minds about so for example i was doing research on what stops you from buying online in a marketplace like amazon or flipkart uh can you guys guess what is the reason why people hesitate to still buy despite prices and despite everything else in a marketplace not a brand hanji why because of trust right like um, you you don't you can't feel the product per se and you're so used to the idea of buying it from a retail store and disrupting that especially it's just like a behavior that's been entrenched for multiple generations one of the things was of course uh, cash on delivery uh which has like, gone away it, now yeah not there in most cases because yeah. it's it's a retail nightmare to be able to reconcile that yeah yes one of the biggest fears of marketplaces is spurious goods right increasingly used goods because uh many fashion retailers in some kinds of fashion see returns as high as 60 70% and and customers are smart enough to know that some of it is coming back to you of course i know of some online retailers who do a swap test do a also a microscopic check to see if you know so it's very easy in a garment if you wear it even for half an hour if i do a a swap test of the shoulder it will tell me whether there is any bacteria there which means when you wear it 
armpit is the place where bacteria grows. So even if you wear it for about half an hour, one hour, I can do a swab test to say this product is being used. So there are people slowly who are trying to stop that. But till that happens, uh, the guarantee of a brand, uh, there is a worry that there are so many multiple sellers who's selling an original product, who's selling a duplicate product. There is a little bit of a fear. There is some fear about used products coming in. And of course, like you said, the experience of touch and feel itself. Yeah. So it's possible that culturally there could be an impact on buying online. Uh, also, I think within category, for example, if you take food and grocery, I don't mind buying Quaker Oats online. But I want to go and buy the green apple myself. Because I want to see the size. I want to see whether it's fresh. You know, so I think uh, within or uh, for example, I may buy a branded shirt online if I know that this is a regular fit 40 Louis Philip is OK, but but I may still buy innerwear, for example, uh, offline, possibly yeah, uh, because I'm worried that I don't want somebody's returns to come back to me and things like that. So I'll go to a, a jockey showroom possibly and buy my innerwear. So I think customers are uh, smart enough to figure out what's going on in the world around them. So if retailers start becoming tighter, for example, there are some online players who are very strict about returns. I think customers understand that and therefore they will start preferring to buy from those kind of online players, provided uh, it, it meets their need state. <laughs> because what all of us are forgetting is the fact that retail is also a social need. Yeah. Uh, especially uh, markets like Bangalore, for example, where a lot of people work in technology, work from home. Uh, the socializing for me is, maybe is just going with my family to a mall or with my friends and having a meal, watching a movie and doing some shopping. So maybe I'll keep all my shopping for my weekend when I'm going to that mall to watch a movie. Right. So retail is also a shopping need and therefore you will find that uh, uh, physical will never go away. Uh, online will never go away. Both will coexist. But at but at, for different categories at different levels itself is my understanding. So I'm not sure whether I answered your question appropriately, but is it a cultural issue? Of course it is. So how people behave around you is the way that you will also behave. Right, sir. Uh, so while researching, we came across two examples. Uh, one is Target. Uh, they recently launched sustainable style section on their website, uh, which uh, promotes uh, and highlights products made with sustainable material or uh, with sustainable processes. And also Patagonia's worn wear program. Uh, they encourage customers to repair and reuse their uh, Patagonia products. Uh, so retail brands are promoting and educating their customers about sustainability now. Uh, what other ways can they find to promote this sustainability among their customers so this is a trend which is catching on uh, in india we were always like that till a few years back or a few decades back right uh, we never threw a shirt because a button went off yeah so all right. of us that button back uh, uh, even now there are tailors in most markets in india who will do patchwork for you yeah so if your shirt tore somewhere or your trousers tore somewhere they'll mend it for you and give it to you and it looks as good as you nothing wrong in that but Clearly, the younger generation, people like you both, world over, are realizing that sustainability is a big thing. And therefore, even uh, bright colored clothes, dyeing process causes a lot of harm due to water pollution. Yeah. Mm. So if you track a retailer like Uniqlo, for example, a lot of the ranges are not heavy dyed products. They try and give you a lot of natural colors. Yeah. So if it's linen, it's like a kind of a grayish color. Uh, cotton is between and a white and an off-white, yeah, because 
we make it white by bleaching it and bleaching also causes water pollution right so there is clearly a movement to ensure that uh, dyes are more natural dyes are not used to actually harm the environment uh, india as a country has always been a huge market women's wear more than men's wear where price point is more important than quality yeah so even now my wife says i got this for 600 bucks this kurta yeah uh, but i think where we differ from western markets if you go into europe and see the display and range is not too much so i was there about 2 months back working for a italian retailer and i suddenly realized that his range is so much less than what i see in india they give lesser range but they give far better quality of product so they're very tight on the quality so my view is over time in india we were filling our wardrobe with lower price every time we see a good deal we buy lower price i i see the shirt for 900 rupees that we buy it so our wardrobe has possibly shirts which will last us a lifetime i have a feeling that over time with consumers becoming more conscious about this one is they will start seeking retailers who or brands which talk about it so for example h&m talks about this shirt is made with 20% recycled product yeah, yeah? so uh, interestingly the world's largest place where used dresses are recycled is actually india so there's a place near alag in gujarat where i am told now more than 100 containers come a day and i was watching an interview of somebody who said that they segregated so so they uh, uh, what needs to be mended they mend and they sell it back into europe as used clothes or it goes into africa in india they still don't sell that yeah and he's saying worse come to worse some garments which can't be reused they take the yarns out of it brilliant so the yarn can go back into making another fabric so that nothing goes into a landfill itself so i think these kind of awareness are going to become big in future so my view is quality of products especially like in fashion could improve people may buy a little less pay more but actually have lesser collection in wardrobe but then they are good quality products which you can use for a longer time the fact that people are being more aware of it so you will start seeing more recycled products itself and i also believe that hiring or leasing of even fashion may happen yeah so uh, i have a board meeting or one of you have an interview you want to attend uh, and, and if you really think that a blazer is not something you will wear constantly can i just go and hire a blazer only uh, only for that one wear yeah i'm willing to pay 15 20% of the actual price of a blazer but why should i just uh, use it uh, i'm reading now a lot about wedding wear slowly going the leasing way Uh, so possibly all this actually means that uh, there is more usage per product there are multiple people using the same product so and therefore we will start seeing these trends catching up in india i think you know, and and i think it will be the younger people who will actually drive this trend itself in our country so possibly sustainability environment all these are part of sdg goals that uh, un keeps talking about the g20 uh, meetings were all about those yeah so my daughters are my daughters would be more likely to be Uh, passionate about it than I would be, and I think that's a trend that we are really going to see in the years to come. Sorry, thank you, sir. Um, so moving on, we have seen that with post-COVID as well, there's been a lot of supply chain disruptions, and so there's been a lot of uh, companies that have wanted to hedge this by di- diversifying their suppliers, and they've invested a lot in inventory management and. 
uh, they've also started investing a lot into uh, AI technologies that allow them to handle this. In fact, I even read about how AI has even gone into the realm of pricing. Um, so I just wanted you to get your take on this particular development and um, what are the strategies can retailers use to, let's say, have better supply chain, better availability, more competitive pricing while using these technologies? Uh, lots and lots of applications in AI, uh, for example, marketing itself. Yeah? Um, today, there are so many tools that one can use for generating content. Uh, so uh, I run a digital marketing agency and increasingly we are using a lot of paid AI tools for generating contents in different forms. It can be textual, it can be visual too. Uh, so content generation is a huge area of uh, uh, AI intervention. Data analytics, like I said, predictive analytics is another big area itself. Yeah, uh, there are multiple areas where we are seeing application and this technology is only going to become uh, more and more uh, prevalent as we go forward. The only thing that will stop you from uh, movement in that direction could actually only be privacy laws itself. Yeah, for example, uh, there is today uh, uh, if you're allowing yourself to be embedded with something, even thoughts can be converted into action through technology. Yeah? So there is no end to the way this will happen. Uh, little different from supply chain. Of course, technology always helps supply chain because being able to accurately forecast improves efficiency in supply chain. Yeah? What did Zara teach the world? They are able to bring a collection in 45 days time. And, uh, in the fashion world, till Zara did this, the belief was it takes six months time. Yeah. So Zara did this in 45 days time. That was a success. Did they apply technology up to the hilt? They, in fact, did a lot of manufacturing in Europe, which is more expensive. Contra-intuitive to what Europe, other European retailers were doing. They used aircraft for moving products in so that they cut down on the timing because they believe that unsold inventory is a bigger headache than really spending money. And therefore, they kept a gross margin low did not have end of season sale as much as other retailers, but still turned out to be a profitable retailer. Yeah, uh, The same uh, uh, company, if you were to compare with a company like Sheen in uh, China, Sheen is able to do lot sizes of even 100. So Zara says that their lot size is 500. Sheen is doing lot sizes of 100. So they're able to turn around even faster than what Zara is doing. So clearly, world over, Technology partially, also business thinking is coming to the point of view that lead times has to come down. Even if the cost of that lead time is going to go up, the lead time has to come down. And that's what retailers like Zara are telling us or brands like Zara are telling us. Diversification of supply chain is more a China plus one philosophy, which many uh, brands are talking about because during COVID, China shut down a lot of things. So therefore, they got impacted badly. Yeah? Uh, and therefore, now uh, they are looking at outsourcing it to many markets, be it Vietnam, be it Malaysia, be it India. So India will also start getting a lot of benefits in terms of manufacturing going up. Clearly, the government is pushing hard on electronics items. If you see those new regulations around licensing for laptop imports and things like that, all this is to ensure that over time, we start telling brands that, listen, you're importing so much, make it here, we will give you a a tax exemption. If import duty is 15%, for example, or 20%, we'll allow you to manufacture this by paying a, a GST of possibly 10% or 5%. So they'll start seeing merit in this. iPhones already started moving in, laptops will come, cameras will come. So electronics is a space where we will see a lot of manufacturing happening in India. Automatically, it means that 
the supply chain at least for indian consumers will start becoming far better because lead times will start coming down yeah uh, so supply chain diversification internationally is happening anyway technology of course has a big role to play in everything from forecasting through to being able to tell you like uh, like what you said about pricing itself yeah uh, there are uh, platforms today in the world uh, who will help you run effective promotions by looking at past data and telling you which consumer cohort you should be targeting this particular promotion to so technology is definitely going to uh, have a say in supply chain marketing pricing promotions like i even said even a store location itself good god it's so just a quick follow up as well um we even have a lot of automation that goes on in retail particular self checkout kiosks are very popular in the us so that is uh, you even mentioned at the start of the podcast how retail is actually a very big employer for a lot of people because like you said there's not a lot of uh, uh, what do you say technical skills that you need so shouldn't we also be a retailers looking at its Im- impact with respect to uh, how the, there will be a lot more people that will be losing jobs now so not just retail society as a whole um from that perspective could we get a little bit of your opinion about how you see this development taking place sure uh, that's the uh, way in fact uh, employment evolution itself will happen yeah so technology may take away some but it creates employment in some other areas itself yeah uh, uh, i was actually thinking of something when you were asking me this question yeah uh, so there are two things self checkouts will work if your tagging is hard so if a tagging is not hard then it can it can't work because i can walk out of a store without the so if you have a tag which is hard and there's a reader for it then you can't uh, check out of the store right so many product categories like food and grocery anyway you can't do it as self checkouts or even if you do you can do it partially by having somebody who's standing close by to ensure that you're scanning everything and going um retail has always been a business where you make customers do some part of your work so you make a customer come to a store walk up to that shelf pick up that product try it on himself or herself then come to the checkout and check out so checkout automation is just one small part of making a customer do one more activity but there are still a lot of other areas where you would want to leave people to which is customer service like we spoke about yeah how do you provide the remote accurate experience how do you ensure that the experience in offline is far better than online how do you give information which is uh, uh, appropriate for a customer how do you do display housekeeping in india today even today in many markets in many formats seeing a neat and clean store sometimes is a challenge so you may still want people to keep stores neat clean stackings done and the best service i always say in retail is where a customer only comes to a cashier and only your cashier is dealing with them everything else should be self explanatory for a customer yeah uh, so automation will happen technology will happen but i think the biggest advantage for a country like india is if you look at our consumption to gdp ratio we are close to twice that of china so what that means is every time gdp grows consumption also grows yeah and the worrying trend for the government today is over the last two quarters is the savings rate is coming down a little bit and that's a worry from a economist perspective why would saving rate come down even i have no answers for it and research is still not out as to what is causing this yeah but consumption rate is high so which means when our gdp say in in 10 years time becomes double uh, retail has to necessarily also become double so which means there needs to be more square footage more stores yes number of people per store could possibly come down but not not all that uh, much yeah we see this everywhere not only in retail so 
for example in bangalore airport if you walk in now uh, hyderabad chennai and delhi flights are self check in now by indigo yeah where they are trying to kind of make you do the job of generating the baggage tag putting it on your bag and putting it on the conveyor belt itself so we see this happening but but what's happening in bangalore there are more people flying so it's not that the number of employees have reduced yeah so they've just been getting redeployed to some other part of the business itself so possibly there may be a reduction in checkout people but i'm sure it may go up in service or go up in absolute numbers with respect to retail business itself so uh, that's the way of the nature i don't think we can fight that so technology will always be a part of our life and it will make work more productive but we'll actually see that uh, more employment opportunities do happen in some other area itself right so one of our listeners uh, yogesh yadav from pgp2 has asked uh, how ai is going to influence retail space especially in three sectors uh, store design promotion advertising yeah so partially i answered that around promotion advertising by saying that yeah not only ai uh, my belief in digital marketing is blockchain will actually be big yeah because you're looking at transparency of data so is that impression that is being reported by the platform is it actually true or not only blockchain can help us do in fact uh, blockchain can have a lot of applications in supply chain too i missed that out when i was speaking earlier right a source of origin which is a place where is it coming from can i trace the source of this apple that i'm selling in my store so on and so forth yeah so a lot of technological influences ai in design of course yeah uh, it starts small because end of it like i said once you get your format right it's a cookie cutter in terms of a layout and uh, even when i used to set up retail businesses early days we used to hire a lot of design firms to give us designs but once you standardize it over a couple of stores then somebody who understands a little bit of civil engineering or a draftsman will be able to give you layouts so technology can very easily do it in a more optimal manner for you store design definitely will go the ai way promotions clearly will also go the ai way because predictive data analytics in terms of marketing to which cohort which pricing which promotion for which segments will definitely be useful and advertising like i said uh will 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 find favor through blockchain and uh, digital marketing but also technology is carrying with it its burden of uh, unintended consequences yeah so governments all over the world are now wanting to regulate ai yeah uh, there is a lot of uh, we saw what happened uh, a couple of weeks back with uh, mr waltman right yeah uh, altman uh, coming out going back all these are philosophical differences between an operating head and a board in terms of what are the benefits and disadvantages that ai can have yeah uh, digital technology itself is going to see uh, multi pronged pushbacks one from customers who are going to worry about social media is free but my data is being sold yeah so how do i feel about it do i want to continue being there uh, will i change my behavior governments are bringing in controls with respect to uh, i don't know whether you all noticed a couple of weeks back uh, uh, the telecom minister made an announcement with regard to fake uh, content i'm not sure whether you all saw that but what they were saying is the government is now saying that as a citizen if you think something is fake you can go to a police station file an fir against a platform so they're putting the owners onto the platform so you will see that in some cases there will be restricted use of technology and data in terms of sharing it very very uh, openly that's one secondly there are some platforms which are going to be choosy about allowing third party cookies to track 
uh, iOS and Apple has very clearly said they will not allow any other third-party cookies to operate also. So while we see some forward movement in some areas, we will also start seeing more uh, filters or blocks in some other areas also. So I think all this is new. Uh, governments uh, never thought that uh, technology can be such a disruptor to life. Yeah, <clears throat> And therefore, they are wanting to ensure that they take control of some of these mediums itself yeah in their own way yeah uh, uh, and and there's a lovely book on how facebook was misused in one country it's called an ugly truth which came out about 2 3 years back oh it, it just scares you when you read that book yeah uh, so some of the the power of the social mediums are or some of these mediums are very very high so if it's not understood appropriately both by the owner of the platform and by users uh, we will have a lot of uh, disruptions and therefore which will cause heartburns too. But by the same token, some of these technologies like AI is definitely going to be around. So you have no choice. So yesterday at a Litfest, I was talking to a design head and her worry is that will AI take away my skills? Yeah. Uh, and we were having a panel discussion on this and I was actually saying that uh, if you can think uh, more yeah, or differently, then no way it's going to take it away. Yeah, because um, in a way, uh, like data analytics of the past, AI is also looking at the repertoire of content and thoughts around behind to develop something. Yeah, uh, but of course, can it throw up interesting things? It does. Today, there are so many tools which can show you visual creative designs around, uh, which is AI developed itself. Yeah, so it's definitely going to be around in the impact side. But we we'll have to wait and see how that progresses in a manner that is helpful to both the enterprise and for community of consumers at large itself. Right. Sir, apart from uh, blockchain and AI, what other emerging trends do you think will have a significant impact in retail? So both uh, virtual reality. Yeah. So when we speak yeah. about experience, how do you get immersive reality, as I call it, which is both uh, 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 AR and VR put together. Uh, so how do you uh, visualize things sitting at home uh, by uh, not actually physically going into a store. So a lot has been said about technology coming into your device at home. But what is less spoken about is technology that's going to be seen into the store itself. And that's where I think in India too, we will start seeing more tech-driven stores. They'll open up their complete inventory for you. They'll create screens where you can immerse and see a lot of things. Uh, you can... Uh, consume digitally a lot of products and then choose something which can be physically consumed in the store. There are going to be multiple such technological advances itself. But VR possibly an immersive reality is something that that clearly will help the retail experience itself uh, much better beyond what an AI or a, uh, a blockchain could actually do. Thank you. So we also have just one final question from PGP2. This is from Vikram Gilela. Uh, he asks us, uh, the increase in direct-to-consumer outlets, uh, particularly we have I've even Mama Earth as well as a, as a D2C opportunity. He asks how that's going to transform the FMCG market. Like, because like you said, it's a lot of distributors that are involved there right now. But with the proliferation of D2C, do you see any significant change that will take place? So I did some work for an international MNC brand in the FMCG space. So uh, D2C is fine provided it is not a one-off transaction, right? 
so if one of you were to just place an order for one shampoo it's not worth my while to supply to directly it makes sense when you flip it into a a clv which is much longer like a subscription kind of a model possibly secondly uh because there are distributors and retailers doesn't mean that they can't be involved in the d2c model yeah for example uh i get a subscription for a for a uh gillet blade or a shaving foam a foam once in 3 months a gillet blade once a month if it can be delivered to me uh png could still deliver it through their distributor to the local store who'll deliver it to my house so they could still be a part of the distribution channel but just that the company would want to own me as a customer with respect to first party data so what we are seeing in fmcg companies in india is this drive towards owning the first party data which means that i need to own the customer but i may do the delivery through the traditional supply chain itself i may not give the complete margin because there is a cost in acquiring this customer directly yeah so i may pass on possibly half the margin that they are getting today yeah but a retailer or a distributor is happy with that because it's an incremental business for the uh channel itself that's one way of looking at it yeah and the whole thing also depends on uh the but the best example of d2c world over was i used to do this case a couple of years back was called brandless in us yeah but brandless shut down because in some categories is not easy to do d2c uh in india we already have d2c for example milk distribution is d2c right mm-hmm. newspapers are d2c so it's not that it is not bad uh, and in fact there are uh, i i i order for a particular kind of a2 milk that i do it through this app so uh, i switch on and switch off depending on when i am in bangalore or not in bangalore so we will start seeing d2c but i think the supply chain will not get disrupted but it will actually happen through the existing supply chain but just that the brand or the company or the brand owner would want to own the first party data of customers itself right so so we have one final question before we wrap it up with uh, you know recommendations from you uh, this is particularly relevant for our our students uh, how should a first year mba graduate like build a profile to enter this particular field like uh, do you give do you have any recommendations for how, how he can curate it what he can probably do what he needs to focus on so that one day he too can see himself entering into this particular field okay uh, so um retail is a business which is a fair combination of general management and marketing uh what's important is to learn the fundamentals of marketing itself to a large extent yeah so so by my suggestion would be uh retail is a mix of consumer behavior a little bit of sales and distribution management yeah a little bit of brand uh, management and of course some things which are unique in terms of retail business itself yeah uh, but clearly so for those of you who who love general management perspective yeah uh, retail is a good business to be in because uh, the resources on retail is largely uh, human resources too uh, so you have to do a lot of uh, you work with large teams uh, uh, stores have a lot of people your warehouse and supply chain has a lot of people uh, you need to work with your finance and costing and commercial teams because everything around your uh reporting everything around your profitability everything around your cost allocation is all around finance itself uh in a way a retail is a fairly balanced gentle management kind of a role and uh, it's a business that once it gets into very difficult to come out of it yeah uh, so if you if you if you ever work in retail uh, very difficult for you to do any other business because uh 
like i told you uh, what i loved about retail the most is i can experiment pretty much with anything every day and uh, that helps you so it's a lot of market research uh, a lot of consumer behavior a lot of operational efficiency and general management a lot of finance and hr so it's a microcosm of a uh, a business world itself is what you actually see in retail and uh, uh, first year students learn the basics of all all fields and focus a lot more on some of the electives that you would want to pick up yeah uh, and uh, and hopefully some of you may end up working in retail for your internship so that will kind of open up your minds a little more before you start picking electives up in the second year itself right sir uh, so we like to end our podcasts with uh, either a book or podcast recommendation from our guest and a few lines for our listeners okay books there are many so if i start talking then i'll keep saying so one of my favorites of course is on grand strategy so so most of you have read uh war and peace uh, yeah uh, then then you will relate to this book a little well uh, this book is written by an author uh, who teaches uh, business strategy in as a workshop so he used to teach for the army in the us and then he started doing this i think in yale if i remember right yeah he does it as a workshop for students uh, of the university it's a brilliant book and there are many many more books itself yeah uh, starting with a very old book called maverick it's about a business in south uh, america and brazil some of you may have seen it to lots of uh, which is the latest business book per se small giants that i'm reading now so there are so many more uh, i am still not so much into podcasts for business uh, i still listen to podcasts on history and culture uh, but 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 my reading is still uh, either a kindle or a, a physical book itself yeah so for those of you really keen you can get in touch with me i got a big list of books i can share with you uh, you should actually ask uh, ankit in pgb2 he wanted this because uh, he wanted to buy a lot of books and i had given him a big long list we shall get from itself yeah, yeah. Uh, thanks a lot sir thank you for your time uh, we shot over time this time but uh, it was a very en- enriching experience uh, we pgp ones have not uh, per se studied retail management yet but uh, your explanations were very good we could understand it please <laughs> Yeah, thank I you so much. I would like to point out particularly sir your explanation of that uh, negative working capital because we always used to tell our faculties one of the most common feedback that a lot of faculties get is that uh, we see no connect with what you're teaching uh with the, the real world. And uh I don't want to comment on that but uh, we have sometimes when I when we are in this conversations I I did see a lot of uh, we, we we saw we saw a lot of what we've learned in competition strategy on the bargaining power we have some of those portus five forces frameworks i would connect with some of what you've said so i'm sure our listeners will also find particularly first year mba students what you what you've been talking about very valuable because they'll finally be able to see that little bit of a connect between what we've been taught theoretically to what's going on uh, especially your breadth of experience is so vast um, i'm sure they'll appreciate it immensely so thank you so thank much you. Thank you so much. Yeah. It's a great initiative you guys are doing, and anything for students in IIM Vizag, yeah.